we have had a big weekend, and because of all the happenings, um, I'll be honest with you, it's just been relentless. And so as, as I was uh, trying to prepare uh, a number of times this week, it seemed like we'd always get sidetracked. And so uh, this morning I have a, a word that I just feel like the Lord uh, sowed in me and put in me sort of spontaneously, even a little at the last moment. So uh, I believe that it's fresh and I believe uh, that it's going to speak to so many of you this morning. When I came in this morning from new members class, I walked through the back office door into the sanctuary and wow, that's all I can say about intercession was wow. I mean, I walked through that door and I was just hit with the presence of God and the tears began to stream uh, from my face. And I just appreciate it. I, I didn't get a chance to count and see how many people uh, were here. That doesn't necessarily matter at all, except that we were challenging folks during the 21-day fast to come out and be a part of early uh, morning pre-service intercession, and I just challenged us to have 100 people here. That was going to be our new high watermark, and we had to have been close this morning. So I want to thank you for coming out and, and causing and being uh, the church, and the church, as you know, Jesus said, would be a house of prayer, and, and we are becoming that, so... Thank you for getting a heart for that yourself. I have a great topic here that I think uh, uh, is something God wants to say to us. And I've called it just by one simple word. We're going to put it on the screen overhead. Restoration. I believe everything that encounter is and does is to bring restoration to God's people. God is wanting to restore some things into all of our lives. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn it open to the book of Job. I want to read just a few passages from the book of Job. Whenever you say Job, you can sort of hear a corporate, oh no. Oh, we're going to Job. Most people know the story of Job. We're going to remind you of that. But I want you to turn to Job. It's the book right before the Psalms. Usually Psalms and Proverbs are easy to find in the Old Testament. And if you'll just go to the book right before the Psalms, it's the book of Job. Job Chapter 42, I'm going to begin reading with verse 10, the last chapter of the book of Job. 42, beginning with verse 10. I suspect they'll have those words on the screen. You can follow along, as well as in your Bibles, if you brought them this morning. This is what we read, Job 42, verse 10. We read, and the Lord restored. Everybody say, restored. Come on, you need to get that concept into your system. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him And ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. I like that phrase too in verse 12. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning restoration have you ever felt like you've lost everything now i understand that however you might define that could be different as we compare it with each other's lives 
but at least somewhere in your mind you would say to yourself, I feel like I've lost or I am losing everything. And whether it truly is everything or not, it's at least something of great value to you, of such value that to lose it at least makes you feel like life will be incomplete, it won't be right, there'll be a great vacuum or a gap there. You just feel like you've lost everything. And if I can say this, most people who live long enough, I don't know that the young people might be able to say this because truth be told, you're being underwritten by your parents, so really you don't lose anything. We love you, but you're being underwritten. But having said that, there might even be in you some things by way of relationship or other things that you would say when it's gone, I've lost everything. Sometimes there's the death of a spouse, and when the spouse is gone, we say to ourselves, they were my life. I've lost, I've lost everything. Sometimes... There are other relationships. Maybe we fractured relationships with, with parents or friends or other family members and we say, I've lost, I've lost it all. Some of you have gone through, unfortunately, the, the heartache of divorce. And, and, and there are moments as you go through that heart-wrenching thing, whether it was a valid thing or non-valid, it really doesn't matter at that moment. There's a fracture and, and there's loss and you say to yourself, I'm losing everything in this economy i know there have been people who have who have been laid off or they've lost their jobs or there's been cutbacks or your hours have been cut in half and and your salary isn't what you had hoped or what you had thought and for whatever reason you look at your job situation and and you just say i'm losing everything and let's add on top of that foreclosures and bankruptcies And I could go down the list of all the things that people would consider to be important in their life. And all of a sudden, it's gone. You've lost it. And and you say to yourself, I feel like I have lost everything. And can I share this with you? There will be moments that you might share that with someone else. And they'll look at you and they'll say, wow, that doesn't seem like that is such a big deal to me. And I'm going to tell you something. When it's your loss, it's a big deal. I have always found out that that no one else may think my loss was all that big a deal, but if it's my loss, it doesn't matter what it is. It becomes an amazingly big deal. And it hurts because it's personal. Job is the epitome of a person that has lost it all. Now, for those of you who may not know, uh, the book of Job, although we don't know when it was written, we, 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 we can speculate fairly well that it was probably probably written and probably Job lived somewhere in the time of the patriarchs. In other words, the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, maybe even a little bit pre-Abraham. And so while the book is is centered near the Psalms, the time period of the book, it appears as if it's somewhere maybe uh, in the early chapters of the book of Genesis. He's a man that we find out that is righteous. He's practicing his covenant before God, he and his family. In fact, he is doing such a good job at living a God-fearing life, at living a life that's honoring and pleasing to God, that God himself even begins to say, there's none like Job in all the earth. Can you imagine God looking at your life and saying, put your name in there and saying, look at them, There's, there's none like them in all the earth. And Job, 
because of his covenant keeping and because he was God fearing and because he walked with the Lord, the Lord prospered him and he blessed him. And as best as we can ascertain, I mean, Job was one wealthy dude. Now, I'll tell you this, this is amazing and a miracle that, that a wealthy person, the likes of Job would have that kind of heart. I mean, most people, when they get a few bucks, hasta la vista, they are not going to be seen anywhere near God, but not Job. God prospered him. He used his prosperity to honor God. He walked with the Lord. His household walked with the Lord. He's a rich man, a righteous man. God looks at him and says, there's none like him in all the earth. And suddenly Satan shows up. And now Satan and the Lord are having this little conversation. It's kind of an interesting thing. It always makes me stop and wonder, like, are there these conversations going on in the heavenlies about me? You know, you wonder if God and, and, and Satan are having these discussions about your life. Sure seems to look that way as you read through here because they're having a discussion about Job. And God looks at Satan and he says to Satan, hey, have you checked out my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth. I mean, God's even bragging to the devil about Job. Wouldn't that be something? If God took your name and and said have you considered have you considered this man have you considered this woman and he starts bragging to the devil he says they ain't nobody like him devil <laughs> I, I mean i don't know about you that could make you go wow all right none like him and satan then who is the scripture tells us the accuser of the brethren satan then says to the lord well hey why not why not i mean He's got everything. I mean, he's got riches. He's got wealth. He's got a pretty good family here. Hey, and, and not only that, this is what Satan says to the Lord. He says, God, you, you put a hedge around him. And because you put this hedge around him, nothing can touch him. I can't get to him because of this hedge. I will guarantee you that if you'll drop the hedge and you let me after him a little bit, I can assure you that the minute he starts losing things, he'll turn his back on you. And this is the amazing moment. God says, I'll take you up on that. I want you to stop for just a minute. Now, a lot of us have grown up in the faith movement and charismatic circles. And, and of course, we have a whole new brand of Christian theology in the earth today about optimism and positive, positive things. And I, I too, am that. I, I believe these things certainly come from the Scripture. But, but I'm just telling you the Bible just as it comes to me anyway. Satan says, take down that hedge. Let me after them. And they'll turn their back on you. And God says, I'll take you up on it. I don't know if I like that or not. I, I don't know that I want God to just brag on me and be so proud of me that when the enemy says, take down the hedge, let me after him, and then he'll walk away. I don't know, God, that I, that I want you to be so confident in me that you'll take up that bet. I'm not sure I like that. But that's exactly, at least as I'm reading the Scripture, and I know there's some things, and I'm not going to have time to explain, explain all of job and you you may walk out with a couple questions and you know do your own bible study but i will say this that that god let the hedge drop 
And, and the hedge, by the way, I just may tell you, I believe that there is a hedge of protection around believers. If you don't believe that, I'll guarantee you some of you have tested that hedge more times than I can count. Some of you have lived life on the razor's edge and you're still alive, breathing and kicking when you should be dead and we should be doing your memorial service. But you've been spared. Why have you been spared? There's either a hedge because of your personal faith or some, some grandma in the family trees praying that God keeps you safe till you get some sense. So you've been spared. So, so there's this hedge. In fact, Psalm 91, I think, speaks some to that hedge where it says that his angels are encamped round about us. And so, it, so there's this hedge, but for various reasons, and I'll mention this in just a moment, uh, uh, God decides to lift the hedge. And the first time he lifts the hedge, uh, Satan only has a certain measure. He only has a certain distance he can go in what he can do in Job's life. And all he does, Satan, when I say all he does, it's, it's massive. He begins, he begins to, to kill off some of his family members and he begins to take his wealth away from him. But the Bible says that Job kept his integrity. In other words, he lost it all and he, and he didn't turn his back on God and he didn't walk away and he, and he didn't do anything that uh, the enemy thought that he would do. Well, his wife came up to him after seeing all this, and the, his wife, you know, who's, you know, we all know Job's wife was the mega encourager. You know, she's the one that says, you ought to just curse God. And he goes, I will not do this. I will not do this thing. And, and so they get, the Lord and Satan get in another discussion, and Satan wants to take it to the next level. And he, and he cranks up the pressure. God allows this to be cranked up on Job's life. Now listen to me, before you get into the theology of what God allows and doesn't allow and sovereignty and under this and that and the other, listen, the key to it all is God had such confidence in Job, he knew that Job could make it. Isn't that the Bible, that God would not allow any temptation to come upon you that is not common to man, that he would not provide a way of escape? In other words, there ain't nothing coming to your life that you can't prevail over. You say, you don't know what I'm facing. I don't care what you're facing. Let every man be a liar and let God be true. You can make it. So it happens twice. And then, he, and then out of this, sickness comes. And we see clearly out of the scripture that God didn't put the sickness on Job. The enemy put sickness on him. And yet the Bible says that Job continues to keep his integrity. Now, you may ask at some level, well, why do things like this happen? Why would God allow something like this to even take place? I mean, I thought he loved me. I thought he cared about me. I thought he was really out to protect me and help me. I, I want to suggest just a couple quick things before I get to where I'm going with restoration. How did this happen? Number one, sometimes these happen, if you'll post it, number one. Sometimes we're doing the right thing and everything just gets twisted. Job was doing the right stuff. Are you with me? He's doing everything he should be doing. He's living above board. He, he has his integrity. He's using his wealth right. His family is in order. Everything is going right and it still goes wrong. Why is that? Because sometimes you're doing things right. That's why, that's why there's even a conversation that's going on about Job. It's because he's doing things right. The enemy doesn't want you to do things right. He, he, he is specifically desirous of those that are doing things right. 
And sometimes you can do it all right. And yet, it appears as if you're losing it all. It appears as if you're losing it all. The second reason, I I think, as I've studied the book of Job, is that sometimes I think hedges are released because of fear. And there's a great passage, and guys, if you can post it, that'll keep me from looking it up. In Job 3.25, Job says this, and he's in the middle of trying to trying to untangle everything that's happened to him and all of this loss. He says, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. Sometimes we live under such fear, and the bottom line for Job, it appears, as if he lived under such fear that uh, God, uh, in that fear, he was able to implement with the same force as faith the very thing that he thought in his mind or he thought in his heart could happen to him someday. And fear, literally fear becomes, you know, the, uh, the piece of the puzzle. Fear becomes the piece that the enemy uses with which to begin to touch areas, you know, of our life. However, the bottom line is, is that in these early chapters, um, if that is all we had, there would be a lot of confusion. But here's the key. God is the restorer. If you get tangled up in the early chapters, just, just rush to 42 because you've got to read the end of the story. God is a restorer. Job had three friends trying to untangle all of this. I think his friends probably had the intention of trying to help. But they had these really convoluted explanations as to why all of this was happening to Job. And whenever you're in, this is funny, whenever you're in a difficult season, there's always somebody to help you have an explanation for that. There'll be some voices that will tell you to turn from God and run. There'll be other voices that will tell you to hunker down and and, and press through. There's all kinds of people that will come to you. Some will tell you you sinned. Some will tell you other things. I mean, all sorts of things. And none of his friends really did a very good job of explaining what was happening. Maybe they were well-intentioned, but it wasn't the right information. But the bottom line is this, that somewhere along this journey, and many people believe Job 1 through chapter 42 actually represented years. I want you to get a hold of this. Because we don't get this as American Christians. We think God is obligated to move like in days. Well, no, I'll take that back. Hours. That's how we think. We think, hey, I prayed about it. Why doesn't it show up the next day? It's because God is not working according to our timetables. So literally, this this could be a, a, a distance of time between the two years. Can you imagine living years having had everything at your disposal and now having lost everything and the whole time you're maintaining your spiritual integrity before God and the reason it is happening, maybe you had some fears But the reason it is happening is because God and Satan made a bet. And God had enough confidence in you that he was willing to take the bet. And because of that, God says at the end, I will restore. I will restore. Now, God's nature is a nature of restoration. There's some great passages in the Bible. Joel 2.25, interestingly enough, it's in the context of the prophet looking at the nation of Israel saying to them, do not fear, sort of the same context. There was fear around, but he looks at him and says, do not fear. Why should you not fear? It's because God says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust. 
my great army which I sent among you. Do you understand the reason fear can be knocked out of your life is because God is a restoring God. It may take some time to get there, but if you will maintain your spiritual integrity, if you will walk with the Lord and you will press through your fears and let them go and trust God, He may not make it right 24 hours from now, but He will make it right. He will make it right. He's a restorer by nature. He looks at the nation of Israel, and remember, they had been under captivity. They'd been taken, you know, sieged by armies. There were all sorts of things that happened to Israel, and and lots of times it would take decades and decades and decades, and he would look at the nation, and he would declare to them, do not fear. And I can hear the nation going, but it's been decades, Lord. We've lost everything, and it's been decades. And he says, do not fear, I will restore the years. I'll tell you what that verse says to me. It says to me that if he takes everything I would ever want, need, or ever have away from me in my 20s, and he waited until my 90s to restore to me, He, in just one short week, could restore to me everything 70 years took away from me. Do not fear. Do not fear. Don't let let time fear you. Because because there's going to come a moment somewhere out there where God will suddenly turn it around and he will cause in this incredible miraculous way a restoration to take place that in the natural mind you would have thought would have taken years to produce but he will produce it swiftly and suddenly and quickly despite the time period of loss he will do this thing because he said i will restore the years interestingly too that when god restores he's just not giving back to you what it is you lost. In fact, I love the passage in Haggai 2, verse 9. Post that. The Jews were wanting to rebuild the temple, and they were all wanting their old temple back. There are some of you right now, you remember something you've lost, and you say to yourself, if I could just get that back, I would love to get that back. And I understand because I felt that way too on occasion. But you've got to understand when God restores, he's not trying to get the same thing back to you. Restoration in God's mind is, I'm going to bring something better back to you. That's what it says here when he says, The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace. What he tells them is this. He's saying, you think that the best thing that could happen in your life if I gave you something back exactly the way you had it. You lost it, but if you could just get that moment back. And God says, listen to me. I'm going to restore some things to you, but it's not going to come back to you like you had it at one time. I'm going to restore something back to you in even greater fashion. That's why Jesus, when he looked at the Jews, he said, I'm going to destroy the temple. And the reason they got in such an uproar was because they were saying, we can't lose this. I mean, this is everything to us. If we lose a temple... How in the world? It'd take years to rebuild it. It'd take years to refurnish it. We don't have the finance. We're barely getting by now. You're talking about destroying the temple. And Jesus says, I will then rebuild it in three days. I'm going to take that temple away, but I'll give you another temple that'll be even better. Now, this is biblical 
restoration, and I'll just define it, put it on the screen, guys. Biblical restoration is not to bring back to the original. Come on. Biblical is not to bring back to the original. But rather, it's to bring back better than the original. That's what it means to restore. So when God restores the years, he's not bringing it back to the original. He's bringing it back better than the original. In Proverbs 6.31, there's a a passage there about when the thief is caught. Post that, guys. It says, yet when he is found, meaning a thief that has come and stolen something from you. In other words, he took something from you. You lost something. It says that he must restore what? Yeah. Yeah, sevenfold. In other words, you're just not going to get your stuff back. You're going to get your stuff plus. Now, I often use that verse, and I I maintain that that would be a great correctional institute precept in our nation. You start making people pay things back sevenfold, and they'll quit stealing. But why bring the Bible into this, right? But there's a spiritual precept here as well. And that when the thief is caught, you will be restored seven times what it is you lost. Better than the original. More powerful, more impactful. It's just going to be greater. Which is why Jesus said, you're going to lose me. You're going to feel like it's a loss. I'm I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. I'm going to leave the scene. But he looks at them in that context. And then he says this. The works that I do, though, you shall do and greater things. Why? Because you may have experienced loss, but something, something greater will come. I want to remind everybody here this morning, and I especially want to remind those of you that attended Encounter, the thief is caught. You understand? The thief's caught. You are due back even better, even greater. It's like here in Charleston when we are uh, going through the historic district and they're restoring, you know, these old houses. And, uh, you know, you have to go through the architectural review board and, and, and they make you paint it a certain color and do certain things because they want, to, they want to preserve the historic nature of our city. And so you have to do certain things in order to preserve its, its look. And, and, and that may be a good thing. And I think, you know, obviously for us it is a tourist thing and there's some merit probably behind that. But when they restore a home, let's just say it's a, a 1680 home. When they restore a home that was built in 1680, they're not restoring it so that it functions like it did in 1680. Are you following me? I mean, it's not, it's not restoring it up to 1680 standards. You're restoring it up to 2012 standards. So while you, you ostensibly receive back what it is that was deteriorating, at the same time, when restoration takes place, you're actually getting... A 1670 house in a better condition, with better quality, with better things than it had even when it originally existed. That's the nature of restoration. And I believe this to be the word of the Lord. God is in a restoration project. He is in a a defined time period in 2012 where He is desiring in us as a people... In you as an individual, with me as a pastor, in my household as a family, in your household as a family, I believe the year 2012 is the year that God is going to restore to us. 
He's going to restore. And now, he's not going to restore because, because some people think restoring is getting what you had. No, we're not getting what we had. We're getting something better. I want to ask uh, Will and whoever's going to help me. They're going to they're roll in for me a little, a little illustration here for just a moment. Some of you uh, may or may not remember, some of you uh, were part of it, and you hear us reference it on occasion, that 10 years ago, which, by the way, this is Legacy's 10th year of existence. September will be 10 years old. And um, we're going to have a big party in September. We're going to do something. You ought to have a 10-year-old party. So we're going to do a party uh, in September. But many of you can remember 10 years ago when, when uh, can you just roll it up real close here, Tim? 10 years ago when we went through quite a, a, an upheaval. I mean, it was no secret. I mean, it was even in the papers. And we went through an upheaval across the bridge, we call it another location, an upheaval in the ministry. And um, my wife, I was listening, honey, I don't know if you got to hear, I mentioned when I walked in this morning, there was such a powerful presence of God in intercession. I walked through that door, and I'm not, I don't do this, you know me. I mean, I walked in, and I walked into, and the tears came instantly. There's such a presence of God in here. But I remember back to those days, they were, they were incredibly stressful days, and, and of course, we've been healed and whole and go on and, and, and certainly have enjoyed the journey. But, you, but a lot of you know the story. A lot of you know that we started without a paperclip. I mean, there wasn't a paperclip to our name. I mean, we didn't, we didn't know what we were going to do. We didn't know how we were going to do it. We didn't know how we were going to fund it. We knew that God was going to let us stay in the city and shepherd people that wanted us to be their shepherds. And, and so it was just a really challenging time period. And, and I, I understand how the, how the people in their minds might process this, but I'm, I'm going to help you understand how a pastor might process a moment like this when, when you've invested your heart and you've invested your energy and you've invested your intercession and you've invested so much in a ministry that it's hard, it's hard not to just it encompass you and it, become, it becomes so really very, very important. And when you might lose something like that, for instance, when a pastor might lose a church or he might lose his pulpit it's it's almost like you lost your very identity you might not understand that maybe you can make it analogous to your job or something that's really important to you remember if it's your loss it's your loss my goodness and it was my loss and of course there was a time when we were living big and living large and you get to administer big budgets and do all kinds of things and and then all of a sudden you find yourself over at Fort Johnson Civic Center. For those of you who were there, it's about 300 square foot of linoleum and block. The same kind of block we use at Encounter, you know, to bust. You know, you hear Civic Center, you think, whoa, that must have been really... No, it really wasn't. It was like a pool house is what it was. It's, it's a better definition. And, and, and you're there for a little bit. And then you go to a hotel and you spend time at the Hampton Inn. And, and, and you're just in there you know, me, big meeting room, and, and then you go over next to Hay Tire in that building. We call it Legacy One, and there was about 3,600 square foot that we could only renovate about halfway, and, and, and because we, I didn't know what I was doing, and the fire marshal stopped us. And, and then when it would rain, how many of you remember when it would rain, it would, it would all of a sudden leak gushes of water on that one end? And if you sat in a chair over in that corner, you, you would be baptized that morning. 
I know you're laughing. It wasn't funny at the time, though, man. I'm, I'm telling you, I remember one morning, it just went whoosh, gushed, and there was a sweet lady that was there, and we never saw her again, and we just, what do you do? What do you do? And, of course, we came over here, and you know the story. We renovated this whole area, and, it, and it's very nice, and it's very accommodating, and, 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 and it, you know, you, you drive by on the street, and it looks like a mall, but you come in, and it, you know, it kind of resembles a church, and and it's become a, a comfortable worship place for us. And obviously you're here, so, so you came and became a part of that in some form or fashion. But it's, it's still in the mall. And I know this may be hard for, for people that, that aren't a pastor. And, and I'm not saying it's right. I'm not trying to justify the feeling. I'm just saying it is what it is. It's a feeling. That there was all of this that you had on one occasion, and then suddenly it's gone. And you find yourself trudging along with resources that just aren't matching the vision and, and you're doing your best to love people at the same time you're aching because there's been fractures and fractured relationships and there's been hurtful things said and you're wounded and you're scarred and it was just hard. It's as hard as when you face that. And sometimes all you have is just saying, Lord, I trust you. I don't, know if, I don't know if you ever had to do that in your life, but I'll assure you, if you never have, I'm going to give you a precept, is that there are moments you don't have an answer, you don't, you don't understand it, you can't make sense out of it, you don't, you don't like it, you're in the midst of it, and all you can muster up is saying, Lord, I'm too far in to go back now. All I can do is trust you. Trust you. Ten years. Sometimes that's how it is. Some days are really great. This morning was one of those great days. You come in and you see all these antennas up in the air. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. Oh, Lord. got a phone call i don't know couldn't have been a week week and a half ago good friend of mine pastor lance johnson you know pastor lance you remember him he's he's preached here a time or two he pastors revelation of christ church he called me up he said hey kev that's how he calls me hey kev i said lance good to hear from you hadn't talked to you for a while hey i wanted to catch up with you man something happened and i i want i want to talk to you because god's been talking to me about you and i got to I got something I want to share with you and, and, and something that's going on. And, and I just, I want, I want you to know about it. I said, well, tell me my brother. He said, well, I was contacted. You know, the church you used to pastor, I was contacted. And, and they asked if I wanted a pulpit. And I said, well, I don't know. I might want it. And uh, they said, well, it's kind of a big one. And uh, they thought I might like it. And so uh, I said, well, I'll, I'll take it, take a look at it, and I'll just, I'll just pick it up and take it. And, uh, and so I did, and he, and he, and he picked it up, and, and he took it back to his church, and he said, I got to looking at it, and um, it dawned on me that it was probably your pulpit at one time. And the minute that dawned on me, the Lord spoke to me. And Lance said, the Lord said this. He said, I'm to give it to you 
and to tell you that God says, I will restore you. I will restore you. So we'll answer that all he said. He said, yep, yep, that's all he said. I said, I don't even know that you know all that that may mean. I said, I'll come get it. So we went and picked it up. Had it, had it brought in. I remember when I made this, had it made. I know exactly who made it. I know how the dimensions were made to it. I remember how we, we forged it like it was forged. It's custom made. I'm going to be honest with you. To me, it represents, it represents the voice of the Lord, but it represents the voice of the Lord that would come through his servant. Me. That's what it represents. We call it, by the way, uh, in, in ministry circles, you call your pulpit, some do, the sacred desk. Because it's just the place that represents where the voice of the Lord comes forth. And uh, when I hung up the phone from, from Lance, I started to think about several things. You know, in the early days of legacy, there were always people who were pulling that somehow or another, the situation that took place could be reconciled at the same location. And somehow that could all be put back together again. And I don't know that I was against it, but I knew that there were a lot of things that would have to happen in order for that to take place. And in their mind, restoration was somehow we were going to get back to the way things were. That was in their mind. Well-intended people don't misunderstand me. Well-intended people that even were with us for a while and, and there was something in them that said, you know, we're going to believe God and he's going he's to give us back what we had. We're going to get things back to the way they were. It's all going to be just like it was. And God reminded me with this prophetic picture for me. God doesn't want us to go back to the way it was. God's got something better. Something greater. Ten years. Ten years of going, God, what are you doing here? God, I love you. I trust you. I'm going to stick with you. I'm not giving up. I'm not throwing the towel in. I, I, I don't, but I mean, I'm just here to tell you if you've got a bet with the devil, can we just get this thing settled? Ten years, I would have liked it in one week. In fact, is it not true, my sweetheart, that we kept saying to ourselves, God's going to do this quick, God's going to do this quick. And you know what? God didn't do anything quick. It's been laborious and tough with other heartaches and misunderstandings and all sorts of things that have gone on. It's been years. I was, I was 42 years old. I am now 52 years old. But God said, and as soon as soon as I looked at it, I said to myself, I don't know that I'm ever going to use that again. I mean, it's kind of nice looking, but I don't, I don't know that that's me anymore. 
That's probably true. No, it's not probably true. It's way true. But what God said to me was this. He says, he says now, is my, now is the time I will restore the years. I will restore the years. You know, biblically, I, I, was, I looked something up this morning real fast in a, in a reference book. I found out biblically that the number 10 means testing or trial. I thought, well, what is the Lord, does that mean 10th year is not going to be real good or no, 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 no. And then I, then I, you know me, I'm just, I'm not, I, I gotta, I gotta do my detective work. Now it, it does mean testing or trial, but literally the word 10 signifies the completion of a testing or trial. I'm not done. It's the completion of a testing or trial in order that it might be brought to order and restoration. It is not just testing and trial. It is the completion of testing and trials to bring you to the point of order. Because how many of you know God doesn't want to multiply blessing to you if you're dysfunctional? Because all he'll be multiplying is your dysfunction. So, so what God does is he gives us this, this time period, this, this crucible. Hey, I, I have enough of the American gospel in me to tell you I love favor. I love the blessing. I want to be overtaken by the blessing. I want, to, I want God to so bless me that everyone looks at me and says, must be God. Let me tell you, everybody in this room wants that kind of happening in their life. But the problem has been that God, when he attempts to do these things, we just get stupid. So what does he do? He looks at us and he begins to see us as we walk with him and he sees our integrity and he sees our faithfulness and he sees we're doing right in all of the areas of life we can do right by and he gets a smile on his face and he says there's none like them in all the earth and there was something in me that just lit up that I feel like God may have looked at us and even in those days at Fort Johnson Civic Center when he just saw that little small crew that was down there, there was something that lit up on his face. And he said, have you seen these? There's none like these. And maybe, just maybe, give me a little artistic liberty here. Maybe the enemy goes, well, sure. They had it all. But you take it away, and they'll scatter. And he says, I'll take you up on that bet. And here we are. Not the same crew exactly. But there's, there's some who remember. And I'm telling you, there comes a moment. There comes a moment when God works everything he's really wanting to work inside of us we aren't perfect people let me tell you i'm not a perfect pastor you hang around here for a while and and you'll get that conclusion really fast nobody's saying perfect nobody's saying errorless 
Nobody's saying completely blameless. I, you know, I, I'm smart enough to know that, that, that it, life isn't always as tidy as, as absolute black and absolute white. I mean, we're human beings, and I, I don't know that 10 years ago even I understood everything in my heart any more than you understand your heart. But if you have a heart that's for God, he'll work that out of you and bring you to the place like he did with Job where it says, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. In fact, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. I like verse 11. It says, then all his brothers and all his sisters and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house and they consoled him and comforted him. I read that and I thought to myself, well, sure you would. He's got twice as much as he had when it was going great. I wanted to put on the margin, rascals. But it said each one gave him a piece of silver and a ring of gold. And what that says to me is this. It says not only did God restore him twofold, but that the blessing began to overtake him now. And he blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. I'm done at this particular moment. Hear me. Time is not running out. Time's not running out. God is on the brink of restoring. Listen. For me, for you, for us, he's on the brink of restoring the years. If there's ever a time when you, when you praise him and you love him and you just say, Lord, I'm encouraged. I wanted to throw in the towel. I wanted to give up. I wanted to quit. I wanted to, to, to scatter. I wanted to scramble. I didn't know what was even keeping me focused. I want you to know right now, there's a payday. There, li- there literally is a payday to serving God. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Would you stand with me, please? Everybody stand. 